I'm going to introduce our guest speaker today. Um, you know, some of your, uh, sometimes you have friends that are like way smarter than you and better at things than you. This is one of those. Um, Sarah's been here before, if you've never met her. This is Sarah Schnacki, and she is a counselor and apparently speaker. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks for being here, Sarah. Hi, yes. Um, uh, thank you. I am Sarah. I am a local counselor. I have an office at the Loop Commons across the way. And I've just gotten to know various people at LifeBridge and on leadership here through other shared um, organizations that we've worked on. So from time to time, I've been able and honored to come here and speak with you guys in, in different settings. And so it's a pleasure to be here again. And I was excited to get John's call to potentially fill in and join you in your series that you're in, The Irresistible Gospel, uh, where we're not arguing the truth of the gospel, but we are rather showing you, uh, hopefully, just its goodness, essentially. Um, I chose to go into the origin story, so um, we're looking at how the details found in our lens of our origin, meaning, morality, and destiny of our life, how you'll want them to be true. John has mentioned on the past couple of weeks that I've listened to that I booted him out of the origin story, which I did, because a lot of my work as a counselor actually happens to be around the origin and our identity, and so uh, it was very fitting, and I'm, and I'm glad to be here. And though it may have made sense to have started with the origin story, I feel like in God's good work, um, it's perhaps perfectly placed where it is today because it does actually answer why to the moral law that you guys talked about a couple weeks ago and to um, the reasoning that God would want to save us from are faltering like you guys discussed last week. So by looking at the origin story this morning, we're not only going to look to the answer of how the earth and us were created, um, but we're also going to look at how the gospel itself gets exposed for the very first time. So let's read and then we'll pray for our time together. But let's jump into the origin story and we're going to start at Genesis 1.1, okay? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. 
And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water with the seas and let the birds increase on earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and all creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every other living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray for our time together. Father, I give this time to you. I ask that your word would be central in today's message. Some of us have heard this origin story so many times, and others may have never heard it. And so no matter where we land, I pray that you would be seen in a refreshing and personal manner, that it would lead to an invitation to know you deeper. In Christ's name, amen. So though I think it would be beautiful if we did, we're not going to go verse by verse through the creation narrative. Um, there is a lot in there, and again, it is lovely, um, but I do want to sum up the creation of earth, and I think the verses one through two just give a good context to do so. So let's reread those at the very least. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of waters. So we have the first two verses. We have God, and he's creating. And when we say God here, I want to note that we mean all of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. In this verse, it even makes reference to the Spirit, and we're also going to see that later on in today's message. So we have all of God, and he's creating all of earth. 
It mentions earth was without form and void or without its function. So as we continue in the creation narrative, we see that God, in a particularly organized fashion, is working those two things out, form and function. First, by providing the form of the earth in creation days one, two, and three. He does the difference between light and darkness, sea and sky, land with vegetation. And then he fills those new forms with their function, so to speak. And that's days four through six. The sun and the moon to produce the spectrum of light, animals of the sea, birds of the sky, livestock and wild beasts to the land. Very organized fashion. And all these things, it says repeatedly through the story, and God saw that it was good. So in summary, verses 1 through 25, we have God creating the form and function of our natural world. The beauty, the detail. One of my favorite worship songs called So Will I mentions it as a work of art called love. The detailed account would indicate he's already intentional, and we haven't even gone to the best part of creation yet. And it is good. It doesn't necessarily state this in here, but I do think there's an element of God creating something meant to signal his presence to us. His role as creator, his creativity, his goodness. Something you almost can't deny, it takes a beautiful mind to create such an intentional space. Genesis 1, 1 through 25 will likely be the start of your weekly devotionals if you guys follow those along on your church's podcast um, as a means for you to continue reflection in that so that we can dive more heavily into the next pieces of the origin story, the creation of us, our form and function, where God really begins to show us what we're all about or what he's about. So let us get acquainted again with the narrative, and we're going to reread Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So similar to before, we have God, what is he doing? He's creating. But there's a uniqueness here to this particular passage of the story. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God's convening with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's talking to himself. He's in discussion in this specific part of creation and in only this part of creation. So that's not to say, like I said before, that the whole of God wasn't present for all of it because he was. Um, But here is what a commentary called a divine dialogue. It sets us up to understand that what is about to happen is particularly special differentiated from the aforementioned creation, which comes directly after, so we don't even have to wait. So here's what's particularly special. Make man in our image after our likeness. Man, being us, is created in the image of God, the imago Dei, something special. 
When we consider that the Bible is also a type of writing, this is written in narrative form. It's telling us a story. It's telling us facts. It's also noted to be special yet again as it's reiterated in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I have read this before, and I have thought to myself, okay, we get it. Why is it so repetitive in this specific way? But again, it's pausing the reader enough to say again, this is special. And the writer wants our attention so much that he even changes form of his writing from narrative to poetry, just for this verse. This is the first sight of poetry in the Bible. Our creation was poetic. Have you ever thought about that? Something special, and not because of all the ways human beings function, right? It doesn't even talk about that here. But because of the Imago Dei, we are image bearers. This is our identity. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, a few things. One, we are spiritual, eternal beings. Part of being God's image is that we too are spiritual. We have a spirit, a soul. And in that, we are eternal. And let's pause on this for a moment. So not only did all of God want all of us, which is the sense I get when he's convening with himself about our creation, all of God was wanting all of us. He wants us forever. And I'm not sure I can think of anyone else that wants me around all the time, forever, okay? Um, I'm a little bit challenging sometimes, um, but God does. The God of all creation who just created all of these things, all of the detail, the sun, the moon, the stars, created us to dwell with him in the present and in our eternal life. And in fact, that was what the Garden of Eden was all about. It was a place for delight for God and human to be together. It's even noted that they walked together in the garden. This was God's design for us and is still our hope for us. Okay, so the second thing that being image bearers means, we are meant to be in community as God is, eternal community. This could feel like a jump, but in a parallel account of the creation in Genesis 2, it says it is not good for man to be alone. And so he forms a suitable helper, which turns to be Eve. Both men and women created in the image of God to serve as the image of God to one another. God is in community. He has Father, Son, Spirit, and we, too, are meant to be in community. And the third thing about image bearers really has more to do about God's attitude about it. Giving us his image means something to him. We are set apart from the rest of creation because of this identity. This is noted in verse 26 and our blessing in verses 28, 29, as God continues to give like a sweet father giving an inheritance dominion over creation, meant to rule once creation is finished. He gives us food and work. He gives us a purpose to then go and bear his image to the rest of creation. Our identity led into and calls out our purpose. 
And this is likely why we feel better when we are on some level productive, because we are meant to work. It's likely why we do have some innate sense of a moral code or that there's a code to live best by because we are set apart and have eternal spiritual beings that are tapped into God's overall heart. And this is likely why we have an innate sense to search for our identity and purpose because of the Imago Dei. We're searching for our creator, for our creator's given identity and purpose. Now, we do live in a world where we are racking our brain and potentially exhausting ourselves looking for our identity or for a purpose. I think it was here during a worship night that John Thorngate actually pointed out some research that states the top two things people are searching for are those two things, identity and purpose. We overwork, we list our labels or our roles as our identity. We segment out our identity to be all these smaller things added up. We look to our relationships. We create our own, right? We hold our own definitions of our identity. But are they ever really that satisfying? And it also appears that they need to be ever-changing when we do that based on circumstances. Yet both our core identity and our core purpose are right here. In this one story, the first two chapters of the Bible, this is why I particularly appreciate Genesis. It just, such richness for the overall story just at the beginning. So what makes this searching so challenging? Why do we overcomplicate it? Why do we get confused? Well, you might have guessed it, the fall. Genesis 3 tells us of when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. I know part of this was covered in the moral law sermon as well, so I won't read the totality of the chapter. But instead, I'm going to read an excerpt from the story of the fall from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Okay. Now, God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Now, don't eat from the fruit of that tree, God told them. Because if you do, you'll, know, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me. And then death and sadness and tears will come. You see, God knew if they ate from the fruit, they would think they didn't need him. They would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him and life without him it wouldn't be life at all. And then they eat of the fruit, and the text continues, a terrible lie came into the earth, and it would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to God's children, God doesn't love me. I remember reading this to um, our Noah, who is three and a half years old one night. And feeling like I had just gotten like electrocuted by a truth or something. I had felt a little stunned. I mean, I've known the story of the fall. I know what comes out of it. But this seemed to break it down to such simple terms. To how my brain thinks. To how I feel. To how I behave. Um, yes, I do think I know everything. And I think I know how to solve a lot of problems. And um, I don't fully trust him, actually. And I don't remember that God loves me all the time. And instead, I look to other places for love and affirmation, places to call me very good. 
even though he had already done it right here at the beginning in our origin. You know, some of what we're doing in this series, Irresistible Gospel, is to counter it with other world beliefs. But you know what? With this one, I can't even create a straw man out of our culture and blame them because we're the ones who have turned elsewhere to answer what is our identity, to answer what is our purpose. It's right here at this moment. Confusion entered just as sin entered in the fall. At this moment, we began the destructive mentality of self-reliance. No God. I can do it. I can figure it out. If I do enough of this, then it will be better, or I will feel more myself when we do it in our faith too. Have you noticed it? If I just behave well and follow all the rules and act on this and do, 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 I will be a good Christian. I don't hear anything of a relationship with God as he created us to be in. At that same moment in the garden, I think we also began to believe no community too. So now we're completely isolated. No God, no community. I mean, notice how Adam and Eve immediately began blaming each other or other things after the fall. And that's our favorite thing to do now when things don't go our way. We blame others and then we try to solve it ourselves. Or we blame ourselves and we still try to solve it ourselves. All because of self-reliance. And if any of that sounds familiar, I will ask a question. I would maybe ask if we were in therapy. How's that working out for you? I can at least say it hasn't and it doesn't go the greatest for me when I do it. Self-reliance is destructive to us. And luckily, as you learned more last week as well, God doesn't leave us in that place. There are consequences that we still feel to this day from that day on our shared history, yes. And it puts us in pursuit of refinding our Savior and redefining ourselves. But even on that day, God had a plan for us to get him back to his rightful place in our lives and us back to seeing who we actually are. And this is where the origin story gets particularly intriguing to me. Our gospel message gets exposed for the first time. So let's jump back into the garden to assure we have our facts straight. And we're going to jump back in after Adam ate of the apple too and they noticed they were naked in Genesis 3, 8 through 13. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some sort of fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this have you, that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I spoke on this last time I was at LifeBridge, but it's so good in Genesis that I have to mention it again. 
though the biggest transgression of our shared history just happened, how did God approach Adam and Eve? He came down like he usually did, and he asks, where are you? Out of relationship, he approached them and asks them questions. Now, they got busy playing the blame game, but all he was doing was giving them an opportunity to be honest, to reconcile. Did you know that he still does this? He still comes to you, inviting for honesty, for reconciliation. He asks, where are you? What would happen if we two stopped blaming and just said, here I am, here I am. I'm going to keep us moving forward. Um, listen up here, because I want us to pay close attention. So if you've been sleeping or on your phones, now's the time to chime in. That's your warning, because you don't want to miss this. We're going to pick it up again in Genesis 3, 16 through 24, and bear with me, because I will have a point. 16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. I told you, hold on. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said to the man, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. Now, you're probably like, why are we paying attention so closely to this? Are we just trying to remember how hard life is? No. Because I want us to hear something I think we often miss. Adam and Eve receive consequences. Okay, let's, let's get our facts straight first. Adam and Eve receive consequences. Elements to their lives as they live out their roles are now going to face new hardship. And God is specific to each of them. So we get consequences for the disobedience. Makes sense. And we remember from Jesus' storybook Bible that what happens here then happens to all of mankind now. But check this out. Just after consequences are given, what happens in verse 20 and 21? Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. After all of that, Eve gets her name because she is the mother of all living. Her purpose in the greater narrative as an image bearer. She does not get a name based on the sin she just committed. 
And this happens time and time again throughout the Bible, a rename to highlight the greater purpose that person is serving as an image bearer. Are you getting it? He continues to call us by our name, not our sin. And oh man, I want that to be true. I am called by my name, the destiny he set before me, not by the ways I don't measure up to it. Sin has stripped us of our original righteousness, yes. But sin nor God has stripped us of our identity, our purpose, the Imago Dei. It is who we are. It is what we are meant to be. And what a sweet father for giving us that. God continues to create skins to cover Adam and Eve. And he convenes with himself again too, if you notice. His foreshadowing of the ultimate tree of life because God already knew what he was going to do and what he needed to do to save his creation. At the beginning. I'm going to invite the worship band up, and we're going to do a reflective song, one that you likely know, so it's going to be easy to follow. But in the moment, I encourage you to really listen to the words. And as they set up, I'm going to leave you with this. I can't imagine that this path towards reconciliation being easy for either party in the garden. It was heartbreaking. And it can be for us too. We forget the freedom that's in the fact that all of God wants all of us. That he approaches us out of relationship because it's who we are designed and designated to be. That is our identity. It may not even be easy to hear this about yourself today. And I get that. But can we hold on to this nugget of truth while we reflect especially and let our feelings catch up to it? story we read over and over again that a mere few words accomplished so much. He created form and function of the world. He created us in his image by mere words. And he can do the same in our lives. He can regenerate within us because Jesus said on the cross another few mere words. It is finished. Audacious love was the plan, is the plan, and has been his execution from the very beginning. Whether this is new or this is a refresher or something else is coming to you about your relationship with God, take it all as an invitation, like this song would say later, deeper still 
deeper still into love, not into the condemnation that we have from the fall, because he calls you by your name, period. And like I said before, oh man, I want that to be true. And I believe that it is. I believe that it is.